Hello everybody, my name is Michael Millerman. I'm a PhD in political science, recently graduated from the University of Toronto, and some of you may have seen an article in the National Post. University of Toronto controversially awards a doctorate, the translator of sanctioned Russian neo-fascist. Okay, so you can read the article, you can read my response to the article um, on my site. But I want to address like one of the basic issues, okay, about what happened at the university, why it's controversial, uh, why I defend what I did. So just to give you my basic view of what's at stake here. Okay, a bit of backstory. So first of all, the sanctioned Russian neo-fascist referred to in the title of the article is Alexander Dugin. Um, those of you who know his name, many of you have a poor opinion of him as a neo-fascist, an authoritarian, a supporter of Putin's dictatorial Russian regime, brain of the alt-right across Europe and America. Uh, you may think that American race riots are from his Foundations of Geopolitics playbook. So there's a lot of mythology um, around Dugan, around Dugan's role. Uh, but I'm going to leave all of that to the side because I started translating him and studying him in a completely different context for different reasons. So the backstory is relevant. In 2011, I was an undergraduate at the University of British Columbia. And I was studying, uh, among other things, Russian. So my family moved from Moldova. Uh, I was born in Canada. We spoke a little bit of Russian in the household, so I took the opportunity of learning, uh, brushing up on my Russian at the university. Now, at this time, well before I'd ever heard of Dugan, I was already interested in Russian mystical philosophy, like Vladimir Solovyov, Nikolai Berdyaev, mystics of various religions, and Russian Christian mystics, uh, in particular in this instance, were always personally fascinating to me. I wrote about them in the first years of my undergraduate studies. Um, I continue to have an interest in mystical philosophy and its meaning on what it is to be human now. Some saw the tall, clean-cut student as an intelligent... Okay, so the article, basically, I don't need to read it. I'm just going to tell you here that it says, some of the faculty saw me as an intelligent but naive philosopher, and other ones saw me as a, quote, malicious far-right propagandist pushing an anti-liberal ideology. Um, that, thanks in large part to my translation efforts, has become an inspiration to far-right movements in Europe and North America. Alright, well, look. It says I had arcane interests. Actually, when I started at the University of Toronto, I was most interested in Leo Strauss, political philosopher, scholar of political philosophy, and he was a respected figure among the political theorists at my department. So it's not like Dugan was my primary area of concern at the time. Um, although I was proud of having done the translations and I did talk about my, what I thought then was my contribution to the field. Um, it's very difficult for me to understand how anybody could have seen me as a malicious far-right propagandist at the time. We're talking about senior faculty at one of Canada's top universities in a department of political science, conflating, researching and translating a thinker with being a malicious propagandist, ideological supporter of that theory. So it's a little bit frightening that professors, um, even then, couldn't make the distinction and never bothered to have a conversation with me about it. One of the claims of the article is that I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel for this malicious, not only am I a vessel for this 
horrible neo-Nazi, satanic, just pure evil uh, menace to the West, okay, by virtue of my translations, I also am personally compromised, okay? It's like I poured this acid out into the world through myself as, as a vessel, through my translations, and I've become corroded by that acid, and now I just go around poisoning everything I touch, you know? So that's crazy. That's crazy talk, okay? And here's why. In my subfield of political science, which is called political theory, the basic idea is that you examine arguments, concepts, ideas, okay, worldviews that people may develop to think about and make sense of their political life, to justify institutions in some cases, or just to propose models of what politics is and what it should be. Plato, Aristotle, Hobbes, Machiavelli, Locke, okay? Fam famous names in the history of Western political thought. Some of you know additional modern names like Schmidt, okay? Heidegger, Nietzsche, their ideas and how they impacted how people think about politics. So those are the kinds of things political theorists in principle are supposed to study. There's a gap between political theory, its development of arguments, concepts, ideas, models, and so on, and political practice. Okay, whether that's a policy or a party or a movement. Because I read Plato's Republic and I learn from it, therefore, politically, I must be a fascist. No, it, that, that, those two things do not combine that way. Or, you know, because I read Derrida and I learn from him, therefore, I must be a postmodern social justice warrior. No. If you're studying political theory correctly, it's not like the political theory ideas do not collapse immediately into action. You can entertain various sets of ideas in the history of political philosophy. You read Marx seriously, doesn't mean you're a Marxist. You read Nietzsche seriously, doesn't mean you love Hitler. Okay? Similarly, you read Dugan seriously, and it doesn't mean you're a neo-Nazi, ISIS-supporting, anti-Semitic, fascist, hater of the West, and lover of Satan, which is pretty much what some of the professors at my university concluded from my interest in Dugan. Wrongly, obviously. Why do I study him? Why do I think it's important? You know, why do I not regret the translations or apologize for them? Um, well, look, you can imagine at least three reasons. Let's say you believe Russia is your enemy, okay? You just know that. That's it. Russia is the enemy. Straight up. Okay, all right. So wouldn't it be helpful to learn something about how your enemy thinks of themselves, how they think of you, how they're trying to reconfigure, okay, your concepts, your ideas, like sort of their informational warfare playbooks? Would you rather those are unavailable to you or available to you? Okay, from the point of view of the defense of your own civilization, the defense of your own country, the defense of your allies. Okay, so you have an enemy, like you're going, to, you're going to play chess with an opponent, he has a book that tells you how he thinks about chess, like what his favorite openings are, why he likes to sacrifice his rook or his bishop, what kind of psychological games he plays at the table. You're going to tell me that you'd rather go to that game unprepared or prepared. Translating Dugan's books is, in my view, of immense value okay, to the defense 
of the West, to the defense of Canada, to the defense of anybody who thinks that Russia is an enemy. If you think that Dugan's works, to any extent, offer insight into Russian, one aspect of Russian decision-making, okay, Russian worldview, basically their chess playbook. That's obvious. Know your enemy. Why else? Let's go back to the chess analogy. You have this important match. You want to destroy your opponent. You know they have their blueprint that they wrote for themselves, let's say, you know, or for, for their, their coach wrote for them or something. You have access to it. 20 pages in, all right, that bishop sacrifice, kind of ingenious. These psychological mind games, maybe I can use some of that. So one thing is you know your enemy so that you can defend against them, so that you can fight against them, so that you can respond to them appropriately and not like at cross purposes, you know, once you see how they interpret what you do. You may also learn something from your enemy. Now, there's another level, the level that for me has been the primary motivation. Basically, philosophical impetus to want to know, it's basically like a desire, a, lo a love of knowing the relevant alternatives. Not necessarily for their policy implementation. I recognize that they have a policy value. I wish, frankly, that more people um, were willing to look at those Russian texts, not only Dugan's, but other people's as well, to analyze them for their pol policy-related significance. All of that is valuable. But there's also something valuable about the study of big ideas. There's something called the liberal arts. They're liberal arts because they're arts that liberate your mind from enslavement to narrow ideological confines. The defense of the life of the mind is one of the key principles of what makes Western civilization Western civilization. It's not compatible with the defense of the West to try to narrow the mind into a single ideological perspective. Part of what belongs to the Western tradition is the defense of the life of the mind. The life of the mind transcends limitations. Indoctrination and mental liberation, those two things are not compatible. Propaganda and free thinking, those two things are not compatible. So one of the reasons you study your enemies isn't just so that you can know how to defeat them, but because it's in the nature of the mind to want to go beyond party, limits, beyond ideological limits, beyond national limits, beyond religious limits, to get aspects of the truth wherever they may be found. Christian thinkers can learn from Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, atheists. Everybody can learn something valuable. I mean, at the peak of like the life of the inquiring mind from everybody else. That's not an obligation for everybody to do. There's a place for, um, there's a place for like the implementation of policies that assume the truth about some issue. You can't have politicians and policymakers and military officials always be sitting around wondering, hmm, I wonder what the truth of this issue genuinely is. Like maybe my enemy actually has something to teach me about the nature of human existence. No, there's a place for politics in the world, a big place for politics in the world. My only argument is that there's a place for philosophy in the world also. And I did think for some time that if it has a home in the world, the university would be its home. Not, every, not everywhere in the university, like I wouldn't expect Department of Engineering, Mathematics necessarily to be always philosophizing about the meaning of existence. 
But departments of philosophy and those subsets of political science that work on political philosophy did seem to me and do seem to me to be places where free liberal in the sense that I explained um, liberal arts and inquiry can take place un unobstructed and unimpeded without the threat of ideological persecution. Ideological persecution, here's what I mean by that. If you're in a classroom about, for example, like I've taught, I've done it, I've been a teaching assistant for a course on ideas and ideologies. Okay, ideas and ideologies, like a broad overview of the relevant political ideologies, liberalism, communism, anarchism, fascism, okay, libertarianism, and so on, conservatism. So imagine you're in such a class, you're going through a set of arguments, let's say, in, in favor of conservatism and against it, okay, in favor of libertarianism and against it. And you would expect the arguments to be judged on their merits, and not because the professor or the teaching assistant has a personal conviction in favor of one of those ideologies and punishes anybody who strays from the, the right answer in the sense that it, it, it responds to the teacher's own conviction. You don't want it so that one year the ideologies course is taught by a leftist and conservatism is slandered and mocked and insulted. And in another year, you know, it's taught by a conservative and Marxism is slandered and insulted and okay postmodernism is slandered and insulted no you want the arguments to be assessed on their merits you want the concepts to be understood in themselves you want the authors to be read you know with a little bit of patience and professional courtesy so ideological repression in my view is where a, a professor or or a teaching assistant or somebody um short circuits the analysis of arguments concepts authors writings to impose their personal political convictions you know skewing the educational experience and making it less a matter of education and more a matter of indoctrination so i didn't i wasn't really expecting that um, when i selected the professors that i wanted to work with in my dissertation because they have a reputation as supporting free inquiry into political philosophy beyond the boundaries of ideology that's why when i put my study of Alexander Dugan on the table from this perspective, okay, like I think there's something we can learn from him uh, based on, not based on Googling his name, looking at him on Wikipedia for 10 minutes, seeing that he has some sort of nefarious associations, calling myself a Satanist, white nationalist, anti-Semite, you know, anti-Ukrainian, no, but coming at him from somebody who talks about the Islamic mysticism of Henri Corbin's study of Ibn Arabi, what it means to be human from the perspective of the quote-unquote dark logos, like to refer to the title of one of his books. These theoretical, philosophical, genuinely, you know, searching and seeking inquiries that he has in some of his books, I thought, since I have years of experience studying them, since I'm probably the world's leading English expert on uh, many of them, since I'm a pretty normal, decent, uh, moderate person, okay, who's not out there in political parties and political movements causing a ruckus, but just somebody who's trying to understand the questions about what it means to be human, how it relates to our understanding of political life. I thought for sure this was going to be welcome 
at the University of Toronto's Department of Political Theory. So it came as a bit of a shock to me when I was accused of being, as this article says, a malicious far-right propagandist. That's like saying, because I study Islamic mysticism, I must be from Al-Qaeda. Okay, because I study Russian Orthodoxy, I must, you know, love Putin and hate Ukraine. Because I study Kab Jewish Kabbalah and its, its mystical models, therefore I must hate Palestinians. Because I learned from the anarchist Hakim Bey, you know, therefore I must, you know, whatever, right? So I study Leo Strauss, therefore I'm responsible for the Iraq war, okay? I study Heidegger and so on. So the fact is, if you care about inquiry, if you care about ideas, you're going to be reading authors and exposing yourself to concepts and ideas that contradict each other all the time. You can read authors who are published by Verso, Zizek and the rest of them, and find them fascinating at times, okay, brilliant. They may be correct in their analysis of one thing and incorrect in their analysis of another thing. And this is obvious, and it should be obvious to sophisticated senior faculty members at Canada's top department of political science. And it's quite, uh, quite, quite shameful and quite embarrassing that they felt it was appropriate to reduce my interest in Dugan to the claim that I am a Nazi propagandist.